Today on the Arts Report, the Vancouver Film Festival, Turning Point Ensemble, Brief Encounters, the Crash Test Dummies, and Art Napoleon. Stay with us. Oh yeah, and free tickets to Caribou. That too. Stay with us. Welcome to the Arts Report for September 29th, 2010. Uh, my name is Adam Janusz, and uh, you're listening to us on CITR 101.9 FM and CITR.ca. Thanks for listening. We do have a very exciting show for you, and uh, we've had we, there's there's tons going on. There's so much going on in this city in the next uh, few days and weeks that it's. It's just impossible. I wish I wish I had more time on the show to cover it, but uh, we certainly have um, some of the cream, some of the cream of uh, of the crop of the things that are going on. Uh, last week, I I did a rather um, scathing review of show uh, Tear the Curtain, which is going on at the Stanley right now, and I've been uh, I've been getting some some feedback on that. People saying, "Man, that was really harsh." But you know, to be fair, I gave them a lot of credit for the technical skill that they had. You know, this is the one where they incorporated film into the play. So in February, they actually went out with a professional film crew and they they filmed these scenes of 1930s Vancouver, and it's very film noir and it's, it looks beautiful. It's very professional, and they blended it seamlessly with um, with the play. But then I said last week, in terms of the plot, I had two words: convoluted garbage. And so I've been getting, uh, not necessarily flack, but I've been getting um, some comments on that. Um, and I'm sorry, but, but, it, but it was. It was <laughs> garbage. And I've actually had a chance to speak to uh, some folks who saw it uh, just a few days ago. And, um, you know, they, liked, they weren't as harsh as I was. They're like, they're like we, we really enjoyed the, the mixing, the, the, the technical aspect, and, and they didn't uh, mind so much um, the plot problems, but they too recognized um, that the plot was a bit uh, was a bit much. had a lot had a lot going on. So there was uh, there was that la- uh, last week over the weekend. I saw a Thirty Live show. This is at the uh, the Forum on Granville Street. They do this music series called Thirty Live, where they bring local Vancouver bands to the heart of the Granville Strip, and uh, they had Familia. And another band called Aardvark Robinson. And, man, these guys, they were, they were one of the opening acts for Familia, and they really rocked the house. I mean, I'm not a big rocker myself, but uh, I got a little inspired, I have to say. I had to, uh, I had to nod my head several times, at least, <laughs> to the music and throw out the devil horns because um, they got people really moving. I mean, they had a little... It's not a large venue, but they, they, they created a little mosh pit and had you know were pushing people through the... You know, with their hands over over the crowd, and um, and their music was was funky as well. So you know, check these guys out. I don't know when their next uh, event is, but Ardvark uh, Robinson is uh, is cool, and you guys should should uh, follow up on them. And as I said, we do have there's so much going on in the city, and 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 later in the show, I'll try to fill you in on some of the things that are happening um, this uh, over the next few days because it's great. And as I said, we are giving tickets away to Caribou. Caribou was nominated for the Polaris Prize, which went to Car Carquois, I think was the name of the band, a, a Quebecois band, rock band, and they won the prize. 
which is not so bad for Caribou because I, I think he's won before the gentleman uh, who, who is Caribou. don't remember his name, but uh, I think he's won the prize before, so not so bad for him. But he's in Vancouver on October the 3rd, and um, I'll give away a pair of tickets uh, to that show later on. All right, so uh, enough for me. Let's, let's get to some, some coverage. And... Um, one of the... What am I going to start with? Uh, I want to start with The, the Tudors. The Tudors uh, is the show on CBC. It's won many Emmy Awards, and um, it stars Jonathan Reese myers among others, and it's starting... Or it has started its fourth and final season, which chronicles Henry VIII's turbulent last days as king, and it's filled with sex and violence and adultery. And... Um, and, and this season in particular uh, deals with the scandalous love affair of Henry's fifth wife, Catherine Howard. And I spoke to uh, Tamsin Merchant. Tamsin Merchant. Uh, and she uh, plays Catherine Howard uh, this season. And she's a very talented uh, English actress who is only 23 years old and has already um, done a lot of uh, film and TV work, mostly in Britain. And she's also sort of making a name for herself in sort of period period dramas. In 2005, she was in uh, Pride and Prejudice, and then now she's in The Tudors, and in 2011, she will star in Jane Eyre as Mary Rivers. So uh, we talk a little bit about that. We ask her why, why she thinks she gets uh, cast in all these period uh, dramas, and we'll also, we'll also uh, ask about why she deferred school twice, that is to say university uh, twice, um, before finally uh, giving in to, to school and, and going in. So um, have a listen. Right. All right, let me ask you about uh, the character you play, uh, Queen Catherine Howard. Um, uh-huh. She seems to be extremely motivated to have a really good sex life. Is that? Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I guess that's <laughs> actually one of her primary motivations. Um, I, I think that it's, that it's, about love as well as about lust mm-hmm. um, with Catherine. I think with with Culpepper, it's about the guy that she has the affair with. It's about um, lust and then about more than that. Um, so, yeah, sex definitely has a lot to do with it, but, you know, there's the tutors, so um, <laughs> <laughs> sex, is, um, sex is quite primary, mm-hmm. primary thing. <laughs> All right. Now let me ask you. Um, I understand you've you've twice deferred university before finally sort of hunkering down and getting to the books. And, yeah. Um, I wonder why that was. Um, well, I actually just graduated um, in June. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I well, what I I really wanted to go to university. Like it was always something that was really important to me um, to actually kind of have that student experience and I had such a good time when I actually finally went but for two years I kind of got I got sick of high school and I had you know so many exams in England we have so many exams and for two years I just really didn't want to um, kind of have to commit to all that and I was kind of pursuing acting and uh, all of those things so I kind of had a bit of a free time in England we call it gap yeah, so right. I had two gap years basically, and um, and then I uh, finally went to university. May I ask what you t- um, what you took, what you studied? Yeah, I studied um, English and education. Okay. Hmm. Now, yeah. Right, just as a last question, you've been uh, now in the tutors. Uh, you're working on Jane Eyre, is that right? 
Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and you've been in uh, Pride and Prejudice. Um, yeah. You're very popular with casting directors for uh, for playing um, sort of these these uh, medieval roles. And I just wonder, yeah. uh, why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, this is, it's a really interesting question. I tend to get cast in period dramas. It's just like, I think I have like a period face. I don't quite know what that means, but someone <laughs> said it to me once. I was like, okay, okay. Uh, thanks for that. But um, yeah, I I think that I, it's maybe my accent is quite kind of old-fashioned accent. And I, I guess I just have quite an old-fashioned face. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe old-fashioned like grace. Some contemporary stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, get the word out there. <laughs> <laughs> Put the word in. All right. Well, thanks very much for speaking with me today. I appreciate thanks it. Thanks so much. It was great to talk to you, Adam. And she does have that lovely English accent that also makes her uh, um, so appealing, I think. Uh, so that was uh, Tamsin Merchant, and she is on uh, The Tudors. And The Tudors is on the CBC on Wednesdays at 9 p.m., I believe. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and uh, when we return, we'll tell you about something called Brief Encounters, where uh, different kinds of artists come together and uh, have two weeks. Uh, artists who don't know each other and they're in completely different uh, genres, and they're gonna, uh, they have two weeks to, to create an art Thing, some sort of some sort of thing to show to an audience, and um, it's very cool. So uh, stay with us. So what are they making a documentary about you for? Because I'm fascinating. CITR is proud to present the Canadian premiere of Strange Powers, Stephen Merritt and the Magnetic Fields, appearing at the 2010 Vancouver International. Film Festival. This unique documentary sheds light on the stoic and enigmatic frontman of one of the most prolific and secretive bands of our generation. For the first time, Stephen Merritt opens the doors to his studio, sheds light on his songwriting process, and details his relationship with longtime bandmate, manager, and friend Claudia Gonson. Strange Powers, Stephen Merritt and the Magnetic Fields plays Saturday, October 2nd at 9.45 p.m. at the Granville Empire 7 and Sunday, October 10th at 11 a.m. at the Van City Theatre. For tickets and more information, check out viff.org. Hey, we're back on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM and online at citr.ca. So, Brief Encounters. Uh, This is the 15th edition of uh, Brief uh, Encounters, and it's, as I said uh, before the break, it's where 12 artists representing a dozen genres have two weeks to create a multidisciplinary mashup. And uh, the outcome of their efforts is coming... When is it coming? It is coming September 30th, which is uh, tomorrow, and goes on until all weekend uh, only, uh, this weekend until October 2nd on Granville Island. Uh, so let me give you an idea of some of these, these pairings. Uh, Buto dancer Barbara Bourget uh, combines her talents with experimental filmmaker Alex McKenzie. Cellist Peggy Lee works with spoken word poet Scruffmouth. Inventor Kevin Roy's uh, works with uh, Adrian Wong of New World Theatre, who's been on the Arts Report before. Contemporary dancer Alison Denham 
works with environmental writer Mitch Anderson to come up with something, perhaps a dance about the environment. And burlesque dancer Burgundy Bricks combines with theater director Stephen Hill of the Leaky Heaven Circus. Oh, and one more singer-songwriter, Leah Abramson, uh, joins her talents with performance painter Pamela uh, Masick. Masick? So, as you can hear, these are very different artists, and what they will do is a complete mystery to me, because I've never uh, been to uh, a brief encounters before. But anyway, I spoke to Alex McKenzie. He's the experimental filmmaker who's combining with Butoh dancer Barbara Bouget of Kokoro Dance. And, um, and we, I, I asked him what the heck this thing is, is all about, and... Um, and he gave me uh, the scoop as well. We talked a little bit about what he does um, because he specializes in um, cinema and light projection in particular and has a very interesting uh, thing called a light box, which uh, he's been showing uh, throughout the world and will actually be bringing not just to Brief Encounters, but uh, will be bringing to uh, the Pacific Cinematheque in just a few weeks. So... Um, he'll give us he'll give us uh, the scoop on um, what he's all about. All right, Alex McKenzie, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, uh, tell me about brief encounters. What is this thing? Well, it's something that the Tomorrow Collective, who are um, originally were three women uh, dancers, organized. I guess about five years ago, and they're doing this thing. I think it's about three times a year where they get. Um, a group of artists, very disparate artists, uh, performers together, um, usually 12, and then pair them off, um, seemingly at random, but I don't mm-hmm. think it is random. I think they have, I think there's some, some uh, logic to their, their pairings. Um, and they're coming from all kind of walks of, of artistic practice. Um, and they're trying to pair, I think they're trying to pair up, um, you know, it, pair, pairing off these artists in ways that will create really interesting friction as well as interesting collaborations. And then they have, is it two weeks to come up with something? That's right. They only let us know, uh, the participating artists, they only let us know two weeks in advance of the actual event um, who we're paired up with, and then we get together with that person and, and you know, get to work. And has, has that started? That has begun, yeah. And um, is there, uh, I don't know, is it frantic, or are you guys pretty relaxed? Is it like, um, oh, no, we only have so much time, quickly? Yeah, well, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a matter of kind of schedules. Everyone's pretty busy, but, uh, yeah. but I think, yeah, everyone, everyone knew this was coming, so, so we've, we've all got it in, in our uh, plan of things to do. So we're not too frantic. I think, I think there was a real sense of franticness before we knew who we were paired up with. <laughs> right. Kind of freaky, you know. It's like, who am I going to end up with, and what's this going to look like? And yeah. Am I going to f- like them? Let yeah. alone, are we going to be able to comp with them? <laughs> I guess it's just a feeling of the unknown, right? But yeah, yeah. It gets easier after that. I mean, it's a great idea. It's a great way to create, uh, you know, cross collaborations between um, different artistic zones of inquiry, and and uh, you know, I think initially these guys were interested in exposing dance more to uh, a broader community, mm-hmm. and I think they've really done a great job of making that happen, um, and and really. It's grown, you know. There's 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 dancers um, collaborating with uh, other artistic practices, but then there's also some really strange combinations that have nothing to do with dance whatsoever. Right. So. There's a um, there's a singer songwriter Leah Abramson and uh, and a painter. That's right. Yeah. Up. 
And then, uh, yeah, like an environmental writer, Mitch Anderson, with uh, contemporary dance artist Alison Denham. That'll be interesting. An inventor with a theater artist. So, yeah, there's some pretty interesting uh, cross-pollination going on. Mm -hmm. Now, you are known for um, handcrafted film and, uh, and projection. And I wonder, what, what, is, uh, what is to you important about that, uh, that medium? Well, I've been working um, in this sort of hands-on hands aspects of, of film making um, and sort of in the experimental zones of that for, for quite a while, like over 15 years, I guess. And um, it's always, yeah, it's always fascinating. I really like the materiality of it. I really like the hands-on aspects of it. Um, um, and I've always been really interested in, in uh, kind of getting my hands dirty and, and handling the materials as opposed to the sort of slight distancing that comes with um, video practice. Yeah, do you think that it's perhaps more rare or, or you know, in this digital age, is it something that's sort of, um, you know, becoming forgotten and therefore, you know, it's sort of valuable to sort of come back to, to you know, projectors and the practical hands-on aspect of uh, filmmaking? And do you think that's being sort of lost? You know, it, and it's an interesting question and it sort of opens up a lot of philosophical inquiry, but we probably don't have a lot of time for that. But, but you know, in a nutshell, I think, you know, if, if it's something that interests an individual, then then I say go go for it. And absolutely, you know, my practice was built in the sort of traditional forms of, of cinema, um, and I'm continuing to be interested in that. And it it isn't that I'm you know completely um, disinterested in in um, you know the future of cinema. Absolutely, mm -hmm. there's there's all sorts going on there as well. But I think there's room for everybody, and um, and I certainly wouldn't want to see it lost. But it ha it has definitely become more rarefied mm -hmm. and uh certainly when i'm touring around um if i'm not say carrying projectors and i need a 16 millimeter film projector you know mm -hmm. i have to make sure it's going to be there at the other end because <laughs> they don't often have them um tell me one one notable project like perhaps your your, your favorite that you've uh, done so far or something that's that's the most notable um well one that i've been that I've been touring around for a couple of years now um, that I'll actually be presenting at the Cinematheque here in Vancouver in October is um, called The Wooden Light Box, The Secret Art of Seeing. And it actually involved um, building a sort of a hand-built um, from relic parts and pieces, um, hand-built 16-millimeter film projector that I actually hand-crank as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, so when I'm presenting the piece, I'm in the audience, uh, surrounded, you know, surrounded by the audience, so I'm, I'm not hidden away in some uh, projection booth. And I'm cranking the film, moving it forward, backwards, slowing it down, speeding it up, and all the all the content of that film as well is all hand processed, um, and some of it is actually handmade um, emulsions as well. So that's been that was quite an ongoing uh, labor of love kind of a project that uh, that has been with me for a while now, and and it's great because the beauty of the performative aspect is that I get to sort of transform it every time I do it. Mm -hmm. and, all right, I'm actually cutting that one short. Uh, I'm gonna ha use the rest of the, that interview for when he's uh, ready to go at the Pacific Cinema Tech, and um, yeah. So, uh, so um, sorry to, to cut mid conversation, but um, you know, there's other things to do. There's other things to cover. Damn it. So um, that was um, Alex McKenzie, and uh, he will be doing um, brief encounters. And when is this, you ask? Why, it's coming uh, tomorrow.
September 30th until October 2nd. And this is going to be at Performance Works on Granville Island, which is 1218 Cartwright Street. Uh, doors open at 7.15 p.m. And performance begins at 8 p.m. And tickets, how much are they? They're $18 in advance. Aha. So if you go to ticketstonight.ca, uh, then you'll get them for $18. Otherwise, they are $20 at the door. All right. So we're going to take another short break, but when we return, there's, uh, there's still a lot to cover. Mm, for example, the Vancouver International Film Festival is starting up tomorrow, and it's huge, and it's lasting until October the 15th, and there's so many movies that uh, I, can't even, I can't even begin to describe to you, but we'd like to tell you about two of them. One is called uh, The Woodman's. And the other is called Anpo Art versus War, and they're two films that relate to artists. Ah, how apropos! Uh, the Woodman's. Uh, well, I'll save it. I'll tell you about that. And then later in the show, we'll have Brad Roberts of the Crash Test Dummies. They are coming out with a new album called Ooh La La, after a six-year hiatus. And we'll also have Art Napoleon. Also at the Chance Center, him uh, he'll be at the Chance Center, and the Crash Test Dummies will be at the Chance Center. Brad Roberts, sorry, Crash Test Dummies will be Saturday, October 2nd, and Art Napoleon is tomorrow, September 30th. Uh, they're two different things. Art Napoleon is doing the live sessions, which is sort of an intimate live thing, gig, going on at the Chan, and then the Crash Test Dummies is sort of more part of the, the regular um, season uh, lineup at the Chan. So uh, two, two different nights, but uh, two great things happening at the, the Chan Center. So we'll have that. And when we come back from the break, I will give out the number to call to get two tickets to see Caribou on October the 3rd. So please stay with us. UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world. And guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. Hey, we're back on the Arts Report. Caribou is playing a show here in Vancouver along with Emeralds on October the 3rd, 2010 at the Vogue Theatre. Let's have a little bit of Caribou playing in the background, shall we? Oh. Oh, I love this song. This song is called Odessa, and it's uh, it's one of my favorites. And it's been out actually for a little while, and I think it was on the charts here at CITR a few months ago. Anyway, uh, so yeah, they're playing a show here on October 3rd, and we'd like to give you two tickets to see Caribou with Emeralds. So if you'd like to call right now, you can get those tickets. The number is 604 822 That's 604 822 
That was Odessa by Caribou, who will be at the Vogue on October the 3rd. I barely gave out the number, and somebody was already uh, dialing, and that was Ben. So congratulations to Ben, because you beat out, um, I think, six other callers that uh, were really right behind you, Ben. They were, they were like half a second each behind you, and uh, you beat them all. Well done, Ben. Let's check that out. Uh, we do have, if, if you feel bad, I do have um, two more tickets to give away uh, a bit later in the show. And this is for uh, um, a live albums, uh, shoot, Classic Albums Live. There it is. And this is happening at the Act Theater in Maple Ridge. And this is where uh, really professional um, musicians come together to do uh, classic albums. In this case, Abbey Road is being done. Now, these guys are also will be doing uh, Pink Floyd, but this one is, is Abbey Road. And uh, so we'll give away a pair of tickets to this, which is going on at the Act in Maple Ridge. And uh, from what I hear, these guys are extremely professional. These are, these are the people that, um, when the big names go into the studio and they need uh, musicians to, you know, to play the various instruments along with them, these are the, these are the professionals um, these are the same people, you know, and now they, they've assembled a team of, uh, a crack team, if you will, of musicians to play it sort of note for note, um, as, as it was intended to be, Abbey Road. And so this is uh, coming up this weekend at The Act in Maple Ridge. And we'll have two tickets. So, yeah, so, so to console you for, for losing the Caribou tickets, you can see Abbey Road at The Act. But that's later. Now... Uh, we're going to the Vancouver International Film Festival, which starts September 30th, runs till October 15th, and is featuring a slew of movies from every country in every genre, including some shorts. I have recently been filled in that there's a lot of short films and that they're, they're later on 
they're at the tail end of the festival, and uh, they're a lot of fun because you know you get you get a lot of bang for your buck. You get to see a lot of really great creative films um, in a short amount of time. And um, you know, with our uh, short attention spans, you know, in 2010, you know, who has time to see a two-hour movie? Why not see a 20-minute film? And then see another. Okay, so we've got two. Nick Panu has has done some some extensive work. He's he's tracked down filmmakers as far away as Japan, which um, which will be the next one. Actually, no, let's do that first one. Um, it's called Anpo Art versus War, and this is going to be at the Empire Granville Cinema as well as the Pacific Cinematheque on Sunday and Monday, October third and fourth. I'll give you a quick little blurb. It says, born and educated in Japan, Linda Hoagland uses her unique position to depict resistance to U.S. military bases in Japan through a collage of paintings, photographs, and films by some of Japan's foremost contemporary artists. The artworks vividly highlight the insidious effects of ANPO, Japanese shorthand for the U.S.-Japan Mutual Security Treaty. So, to fill us in, here's Nick Panu. Now bear with me. Here we go. Wait. Here we go. Here we go. Listeners, we go. right now we have uh, this pleasure, uh, this privilege of speaking to the producer-director for uh, the film Ampo that will be uh, screening October 3rd at the Vancouver International Film Festival. Uh, how are you doing? And uh, thanks for taking the time to do this interview, Ampo, Art at War. It's really interesting how the whole film starts off. It, it talks about um, the hostility that is there against the U.S., so it, it leaves it open-ended, then the audience is, is why, and then you, you delve, delve right into that. Well, it's a very complicated uh, relationship between Japan and the United States um, because um, after Japan lost the war, the U.S. Um, has still as it does in Germany and Italy and many other countries, um, the U.S. still maintains active military bases here. And so it's a very conflicted... It's not that the Japanese actively hate the Americans, it's just it's a very complicated relationship because they lost the war in a very humiliating, stunning way, and the American bases have, have never left since then. Yeah, the the American bases uh, have not left. It, like in uh, pop culture media, we these things are not uh, exploited, and we also, by human nature, don't think about well what, what the trauma that people deal with uh, after the war. Like um, the military bases are there, so people people weren't sure if like they were going to be bombed again. Like they see these U.S. planes flying over and. Well, yes, they were, they were um, especially in 1960 when there was a national democratic uprising against the presence of the U.S. military bases. The thing that people were most afraid of, um, it had just been 15 years since the end of World War II, and they were terrified that they would be sucked back into war because at that time the Cold War was particularly intense and mostly were simply afraid of being dragged back into war. It's to to every country that's defeated of of how um, after war uh, the the turmoil and the women and children are not safe and, and you showed a short script of like the American soldiers chasing the women down right that was actually a scene from uh, a legendary film called battles without honor and humanity there's a myth in the United States that all of the American soldiers in the US occupation of Japan behaved like gentlemen 
and um, I'm afraid that um, the Japanese have a different experience. Um, and it's still an active problem today in, on the island of Okinawa, where 75% of the U.S. military bases remain in Japan, especially a very strong uh, presence of Marines and uh, the, the problem of, of rapes and hit and runs and petty crimes is a constant problem here, partly because the United States um, servicemen are protected under something called the Status of Forces Agreement. And so the human rights of the local people are, are frequently violated. Yeah, the artist's depiction of, uh, you know, what happened uh, during the war and then uh, mostly after the war and, and uh, the protests against uh, this uh, occupation treaty, APNO, in 1960. Uh, was it a rigorous process? Are you and your team seem to have this really good eye to find the artist to to accurately depict and show all those uh, atrocities that that happen? Well, you know, part of what I'm trying to do with this film is change our Western perception of what Japanese contemporary art is. These are some of the most um, respected, prominent artists in Japan. They're, they're all very well-known, famous artists, although some of the painters were forgotten. They were, they were quite well-known in the 50s, and now their work is mostly locked up in museums. But uh, the, 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 the truth is that the trauma of war and then the ongoing trauma and complexities of occupation are a right subject matter for any artist. And so we had over a thousand pieces of art to choose from, as well as more than 30 films. So really, it's an incredibly rich um, artistic field in Japan. It just is that it, it has been well, it's, a, it's, a, it's been a well-kept secret. Photographers uh, play a substantial role in uh, telling uh, these stories. Well, yes, the, the, the photographer who went to um, Hiroshima, she photographed the, the clothing that the people were wearing um, at the time that they were um, killed by the atomic bomb. And uh, it's astonishing because instead of having a very strong sort of intentionally, she just photographed the clothes as beautiful clothes. And I think what, what she does with her beautiful photographs is she makes us think of the individuals who died. And, you know, in, our, in the West, our imagination with the atomic bomb tends to be that of the mushroom cloud. But actually, she diverts and redirects our imagination to the individual girls who must have been wearing these very pretty dresses. Listen, we had this pleasure of speaking to Linda Hoagland. All right. And that was a feature on, uh, is it Ampo? Or, yeah, Ampo, Art versus War. Now we have one more from Nick, and this one is about the Woodmans. So this one is, C. Scott Willis's unforgettable documentary shares the grief and joys of a fascinating artistic family. The photographer Francesco Woodman had all the markings of becoming the next big art star, precocious talent, beauty, charisma, a driving ambition, and a work ethic to match. Almost 30 years after, the art world remains transfixed. Listeners, right now we are on the line with uh, director, producer for the uh, documentary on uh, The Woodmans that will be uh, screening at the Vancouver International Film Festival on uh, opening night September 30th and uh, again October 9th and 10th. We are on the line with Scott Willis. How are you doing and thanks for taking the time to do this interview. Absolutely, Nick. Thanks Thanks for reaching out. Uh, I can't wait to get to Vancouver. It's my first trip there. And, 
uh, Woodman's hasn't been in many festivals, and we're really looking forward to, to visiting your fine city. really enjoyed your film, and of course, it, it, it's a documentary about uh, this very artistic family, but on a macro level, it just delves into you know, the sacrifices that are made by an artist, the dedication, and all the issues that someone may an artist may have, uh, you know, is reflected through their art, then how their personal life can actually be affected by how much they express in their art. So uh, what was your initial motivation to, to do the, this documentary on, on the Woodmans? When I saw, I met Betty and George Woodman, the parents, it, you know, what you say, it's, it's true. It's really a film about kind of the wages of art, as it were. Um, but I also like to think of it as a film about a family. Um, it's a very intense, very talented family. And I met Betty and George Woodman, uh, the parents. Um, Betty Woodman is a very successful artist. She's a ceramicist. She's had her own show at the Metropolitan Museum in New York, which is a very big deal. George is a, is a wonderful painter. Their son, Charlie, is a, is a professor of art and um, a teacher of video art and very talented. But it was really the daughter, Francesca Woodman, who is just a, a really extraordinary photographer. And um, the work that she did is so riveting and, uh, and so focused and became such a big deal in the world of, of photography, but in Francesca's case, uh, her success came posthumously, and, um, and she took her own life at age 22, and she was so far ahead of her time, she was so talented, she was so persuasive with her photography, but um, she didn't move as fast in, the, in, in, the, in getting recognized as she would have wished. So to me, it was, could you look at could you look at that moment in different moments in an artist's life and try and understand the emotional context of, of their work? You know, it's a, it's a really tragic story in a lot of ways. But at the end of the day, in the film, it really is a film about um, how art heals. Um, uh, I, you know, Francesca's death didn't come from making art. Um, uh, it came from not making art. When she stopped making art, she fell apart. And um, and I think there's a lesson in that when you're when you commit your life to the, a world of creative effort, um, it can be very tough. But it can be tougher to quit than to keep going. She wanted to be recognized like quickly, so that that was kind of her issue. Well, I think you know I, you know there is an imp I felt it when I was 22. Um, you know, that age, you're impatient for the world to sort of set for you. You've gone to school, and then you've finished your high school, and then you've gone to college, you've finished your high school, and all of a sudden you emerge in the real world, and you look around and you say, okay, so is this what it's going to be? Is this the moment that's set, and do I follow this course forever? And for Francesca, it was a very tough time in her family. Uh, it's a very competitive family, um, uh, competitive in the art world, and to a certain degree competitive with each other, uh, their life centered around art, and um, and art was, in a sense, all Francesca knew, and if not all she knew, it was certainly what she was best prepared to do in life. And when she wasn't greeted, when she wasn't greeted with open arms and uh, huge recognition right out of the blocks, 
I think she had a fragile interior, and she uh, and she fell apart. Is a tragedy because uh, her her work was was ahead of her time, and at the time uh, there weren't many galleries for uh, photography. Like the, the 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 genre wasn't like there wasn't that many places to to but. A lot of the things she did was innovative, and it's influenced uh, a lot of people in that field today. So it's unfortunate that uh, 30 years ago, there were less opportunities for her to, to make a living out of her art. You're absolutely right. In New York, in, in, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, there was only one gallery that sold photographs. It was a small gallery. Uh, listeners, we were just uh, speaking to uh, the director-producer for the film The Woodmans, Scott Willis. Thanks for your time. Uh, absolutely. Pleasure to, pleasure to have a conversation with you. All right, and thanks to Nick Panu for uh, hunting down both of those filmmakers. Uh, the Woodmans, which you just heard about, will be playing at the Van City Theatre tomorrow, September 30th at 9 p.m., as well as on October the 9th at the Empire Granville 7 uh, Cinema at, at noon, and on Sunday, October 10th at 6 p.m. at Empire Granville Cinema. And the other one is Anne Poe Art vs. War, which will be on uh, this Sunday, October 3rd at 6, and uh, Monday, October 4th at 1.15. If you didn't catch all of these times, just go to vif.org slash festival. That's V-I-F-F, as in Vancouver International Film Festival, dot org slash festival, and you'll get the full... Uh, lineup of all the films and you'll be able to check the times and you'll be able to buy tickets online to make sure that uh, that you have them all right so when we come back we'll talk to brad roberts of the crash test dummies who are back after a six-year hiatus and are coming to the chan center here at uh, ubc uh on october saturday october the 2nd at 8 p.m so stay with us at Dunkin' Donuts, each and every radio show okay. is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead, let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. Okay, uh, so we'd like to give away some more uh, tickets. And now this is the Classic Albums Live that I was uh, telling you about before, which is at the Act in Maple Ridge. And so as I said, the idea here is that they take a uh, famous album, in this case Abbey Road by the Beatles, and, um, and what they do is uh, they bring it. They bring it uh, in, in pitch-perfect uh, form to, uh, for audiences. Uh, and um, and yeah, and it's a great production. It's it's supposed to recreate uh, the original album um, in its in its uh, best form. What am I saying? I don't really know. <laughs> I'm not making it much sense. So um, we'd like to give a pair of tickets away to see this. And um, so if you call me uh, right now, you'll get uh, two tickets to see this um, at the Act in Maple Ridge. Um, and the tickets are usually $45, so you get to save, uh, if you went with two people, you'd save uh, $90. And um, I should also tell you about a special deal that's going on right now where you get, um, you only have to pay uh, $10. Now, this is for, for students. So with a valid student ID, you get tickets for, for $10 and you get to skip the $45 uh, price. 
So it's pretty amazing. But anyway, if you call now, you don't have to pay anything. You get uh, two tickets for $0, and you get to see Abbey, Abbey Road um, performed at the Active Theatre in Maple Ridge. So uh, give us a call now. Uh, we'll go play some ads uh, while we do this. Uh, but the number first, before we do that, is 604-822-2487. That's 604 604- 822-2487 and when we return uh, we'll have Brad Roberts of the Crash Test Dummies so stay with us we'll be right back there, do you have any idea what you're listening to? London Philharmonic Venus You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver. So what are they making a documentary about you for? Because I'm fascinating. CITR is proud to present the Canadian premiere of Strange Powers, Stephen Merritt and the Magnetic Fields, appearing at the 2010 Vancouver International Film Festival. This unique documentary sheds light on the stoic and enigmatic frontman of one of the most prolific and secretive bands of our generation. For the first time, Stephen Merritt opens the doors to his studio, sheds light on his songwriting process, and details his relationship with longtime bandmate, manager, and friend, Claudia Gonson. Strange Powers, Stephen Merritt and the Magnetic Fields plays Saturday, October 2nd at 9.45 p.m. at the Granville Empire 7 and Sunday, October 10th at 11 a.m. at the Van City Theatre. For tickets and more information, check out viff.org. Hey, we're back on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. I have one more thing to say about the Abbey Road show at the Act, which is that there's a four-hour sale going on right now online. Uh, from 5 p.m. until 9 p.m., you can get uh, two-for-one tickets. So if you go to the actmapleridge.org, then you'll be able to get um, you'll get the special discount. Uh, but you need to know the code, and the code is note for note, uh, note for note. And if you punch that in, you'll be able to get that discount only until 9 p.m. today. So do check that. Okay, moving on. The Crash Test Dummies are back, and they're coming to the Chan here at UBC on Saturday, October 2nd at 8 p.m. And they're doing uh, this... They're back at it after six years, though, as you'll hear from Brad Roberts, they've um, Brad Roberts has not been sort of sitting idle for the last six years. He's been steadily working on this album bit by bit over the last six years. So um, so here's our interview with uh, Brad, who doesn't sound as bassy as um, as he does in in his music, which kind of surprised me. And uh, we'll also hear about his obsession with a 70s uh, musical toy. Here it is. Brad Roberts, thanks for being on the Arts Report. 
Thanks so much for having me. Now, uh, this is the first album after a six-year hiatus, and so I just wonder, how does that uh, how did that affect you when you went back into studio? Was it uh, was it sort of um, a breath of fresh air, or was it kind of tricky to sort of find your place? No, actually, um, the way the record was recorded was over the course of six years, um, and we we've, we've got about fifty songs. We plucked ten or eleven for this record, and. Um, the, the, the recording process was the most leisurely thing I've ever done in my life. It was just an absolute delight. I'd drop, drop in, write a song, record it, and leave it for overdubs, and did that once a week for about, like I say, many, sometimes only once a month um, for a number of years. And they started turning out so well that... Um, I thought, why not put them out? Because initially we were just doing it as a labor of love. I I couldn't make any money in the music business once the whole file sharing thing came into play. And this, this other gentleman that I worked with was equally frustrated because he wasn't being able to record any band. So we decided to partner up and um, co-write and split everything 50-50 and not have to spend any money. And it's been all great from there. So you've actually been working on this for the last six years, is that right? Yeah. Wow. But off and on. Yeah. Just very off and on. Like you say, yeah, in a sort I, of... I tend to write in fits and starts. I'll write right. two or three lyrics in a day, and then I'll write again for a week. And, and um, so that's we, what... we also work really well together. We, we wrote a song every time we sat down. Like, we, mm -hmm. I'd come over there, we'd start writing, and the rule was we couldn't leave for dinner. <laughs> until we had a song in. And we always finish one, every time. <laughs> that's, that's quite the motivation, right? What's that? That's quite the motivation. You know, you can't eat until you finish. <laughs> um, and, I, and I understand you, were, you, you used 70s-era analog musical toys. Whose idea was that? That was mine. It's called the Octagon. It's more like an old, one of those old organs you used to see in malls back in the 70s. Oh, okay. And you'd press buttons on the left and it would make the mute the chords and you'd press and with your right hand you'd play on the, the keyboard itself mm -hmm. with the melody mm -hmm. and um they came with music books and you could play along it was it was made for non-musicians amateur hobbyist very much an amateur hobbyist kind of a thing now did you have one sort of but, sitting around and or, or did you find it especially no, no i became obsessed yeah. by them yeah and um i ordered one on ebay Ordered. I bought one, yeah. and then I bought another one because I needed some parts, and then I bought a third one because the guy wouldn't part with all his his discs without parting with the octagon itself, and the discs were what I really wanted. He had some rare, difficult to find ones, mm -hmm. including Polynesian Village, one of my favorites. Oh my god! So I, I bought the whole octagon just for t those ten discs, huh. and um, took it from there. It was. It was a great thing to write with because it took it, it took us in places we would never have gone. Right. You know, like if if we put the big band disc into the machine, up would come up the big band sound, and <laughs> we'd compose around that vibe. And I, the lyrics would get inspired by the vibe, and and put it all together and throw some real instruments on top of there, and boom, tickety boom. Now, uh, I understand you won't be bringing the Optagon to the uh, to the Chan Center, so I wonder how um, how will how will it work in the live show? 
Well, you know, the toys, although they were the basis for the songs, um, by the time we finished the overdubs with the with other bass and real drummers and so forth and so on, a band can play them without the toys. And um, so we just... Actually, I've done some purely acoustic reinterpretations of those tunes, and they sound almost better than the record stripped down like that. Right, and sort of like uh, delaying dinner, it ends up being a sort of challenge to... Um a kind of motivation to sort of um, power through and, and make something new out of it, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to spin it that way, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we look forward to the show here at uh, the Chan, and I uh, really appreciate uh, you found some time for us today. Yeah, no problem. Take care. Bye-bye. That was Brad Roberts of uh, the Crash Test Dummies, and they'll be doing that show on October 2nd at 8 p.m. So if you want tickets to see uh, Crash Test Dummies, then um, you can get them at the chancenter.com, www.chancenter.com. They are $43 for adults. And if you're a student, if you're a UBC student or any other kind of student, you can get them for $33, uh, uh, 40 for seniors. But we're not finished with uh, the Chan Center just yet. Oh, by the way, sorry, before we go on, I should add... Um, Brad was actually uh, very, very generous because he didn't actually know that uh, we had an interview today um, due, due to some, some um, uh, snafus uh, in the background. But um, he was just like, you know what, we'll do it. How long is it? And I said, oh, about five minutes. And he said, okay, we'll just, we'll just do it right now. And so he didn't know that the interview was coming and just kind of braved it through. So um, he was extremely ge- And at the end, he even said to me, he's like, was, was that okay? Because, you know, I can call you back later if, if, if you want to do some more. So, yeah, Brad Roberts, great guy. Uh, right, but the Chan Center has another show, and this one is Art Napoleon, which is at uh, tomorrow, September 30th, and this is part of Live Sessions. And uh, Art Napoleon is uh, wears many hats. He's a storyteller, a First Nations chief, he's a musician, he's a comedy writer, and uh, he's an author. And as uh, you'll hear, he wishes he could do more writing. Uh, on top of that, he's also a hunter. Uh, he hunts uh, and eats wild game. Uh, his recent album, Siska Bush Tales, has won many awards. And, um, and as you'll hear in this interview, uh, he may come to the Chan Center dressed as Lady Gaga. What does that mean? Listen and find out. Uh, first off, thanks for being on the show. You bet. My pleasure. Now, you're known for a blending of genres, you know, storytelling and music, and then uh, First Nations and sort of conventional folk uh, styles. I wonder, how did that come about? Is that inspired from others, or did you sort of uh, cultivate that yourself? No, I think it's just uh, part of my personality. I get quite bored easily. <laughs> <laughs> I like to have variety in life. I like the spice of life, and so I've always uh, just naturally been uh, interested in a wide variety of things. In fact, there's just not enough time, I know, in this lifetime, a lifetime to get to uh, everything that I really want to do. <laughs> and so, is that right? Now, what are some things that you'd, you'd still like to do? Actually, I'm a, uh, I'm a writer. I do a lot of technical writing. I do a lot of editing. I do educational writing, mm-hmm. and. Uh, one of the things I've always hoped for was uh, writing actual books, short stories. I have collections of short stories and like three big suitcases full of uh, writings in the works, fiction and nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And one day I'd actually like to sit down, and I know it takes a lot of dedication. It's not something you can do on the side. It takes a lot of time and a lot of commitment and a lot of energy. And uh, 
as long as I'm pursuing music, I cannot uh, really pay the kind of attention it deserves to be a writer. But one day I'd like to get to it. Mm. And that also includes uh, screenwriting. I've always been interested in that and have taken a little bit of training in that area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's another thing, another dream of mine to one day write a screenplay or or, or make a documentary but who else doesn't want to do that everyone wants <laughs> to write a book or make a documentary <laughs> I suppose <laughs> now um, Cisco Bush Tales has taken or has won the um, CAMA Best Acoustic Folk and Best Country Album Award back in 2009 and yes. it's uh, received a lot of acclaim I wonder if you have um, a new album in the works new album is out uh, actually I've got it physically in my hand it's being uh-huh. manufactured but it's not offic- going to officially be released online until uh, October. I'm just working on a clearance on the last two songs. I've got clearance on everything because these are covers. I have to get pay for mechanical rights. Okay, and they're then, covers. Uh, but, but they're also translated, these songs, mm-hmm. so I have to take another step. And then some, some are, uh, there's, a, there's one blanket organization, but then there's also uh, certain uh, artists that have their own publishing houses and so I had to deal with a wide number of organizations and then sometimes you track one of those down they only deal with mechanical rights you're, you got to get permission to translate from this organization so you've got emails and letters going all over the place mm-hmm. Sounds complicated. had I known all of this I would maybe not have <laughs> done so many covers <laughs> now uh, what are some of these covers uh, there's all kinds. There's uh, Tom Petty, Neil Young, Hank Williams, Smokey Robinson, The Beatles. It's it's very eclectic. No Lady Gaga? No Lady Gaga. <laughs> Maybe the next album. <laughs> but I may dress like her. <laughs> really? At the Chan Center. <laughs> the Chan Center. On the, on the 30th. <laughs> now, um, speaking, uh, speaking of that, uh, your daughter will join you on stage. Yes. Tell me about that. Well, uh... We've uh, performed a little bit here and there in schools and whatnot. When, you know, when I want a youthful element, I'll uh, sometimes see if she's available. And uh, it's rare, but she does join me on stage once in the blue moon. Uh, she has her own gigs going on. She, she plays with the uh, ska, reggae kind of band in Victoria. They're Victoria-based. It's a, it's a giant band. There's like 12, 14 of them. And they've uh, actually toured across Canada last summer and toured Western Canada this summer. So she has that going on, and she also writes her own song. So what you'll hear on the 30th is her her own original music with Dad uh, trying his best to back her. <laughs> um, now, I read somewhere that you, you still uh, hunt and eat wild game. Is that true? That's absolutely true. I have a, I'm looking at my little freezer here, and it's full of moose meat. Moose. Now, moose. is that um, moose? Is, is that a little your bit of deer, a little bit of salmon. What would be uh, what would be um, your favorite, or, or something that that's actually quite good that people might not expect is very it's good? It's all good, buddy. It's all good. <laughs> I would pick that over beef any day. The only thing is with moose is it's a little bit dry, so it's not really designed for the grill. It's really great oh, okay. um, as minute steaks or big uh, the. Uh, grilling, not grilling steaks, but uh, the kind that you marinate and cook right in oh, the pan. I see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they make pretty good roasts, 
uh, but they're they're best in stews and soups. Have you ever thought of maybe bringing and selling them at your shows? Well, yeah, I'd love to, except it's against the law on about two different fronts. One, you're not allowed to sell wild game. Two, really? you're not allowed to sell any food that's not uh, graded by an inspector. Okay. So wild meat, that's why you don't see them being sold even at a farmer's market. I see. So they just have to um, come out and meet you? And yeah, somebody would make a killing uh, uh, out of these Uvic rabbits if they were allowed to. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, well, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we look forward to seeing you here at the Chance Center. Take care. Take care, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Art Napoleon, who will be at the Chan Center very soon. So check that out, September 30th. That's uh, tomorrow at 7 p.m., not 8 p.m., the time that things usually start, but 7 p.m., so um, check that out and see if he actually dresses as uh, Lady Gaga or not. Maybe he will. Who knows? All right. So uh, we are out of time, unfortunately. And I was going to do one more piece about the Turning Point Ensemble's show called Revolutions. But uh, we're just flat out of time. So I apologize for that. But Revolutions is a really great show that's uh, coming to uh, the Chan Center as well. This is like the Chan show. This is three shows, um, three different events all in one episode of the arts report all at the chan and this one revolutions uh is october 1st through the 3rd it starts at 7 30 and what they do so well at revolutions is combine um music like um like uh, orchestral music with other other disciplines of art and um, so what they do here, I'll just quickly tell you, voices and instruments combine in this striking and varied program featuring Igor Stravinsky's Cantata, a profound setting of sacred and secular medieval poems, and Janacek's lively and playful nursery rhymes. The concert includes the world premiere of Revolutions by composer Christopher Fulton and writer Kiko Gonzalez-Riso. Their work is inspired by the iconic 17th century astronomer Galileo. So that's, uh, and that starts at 7.30. Tickets for this are uh, $17. 17, no, 17 to $34. They're available at Ticketmaster or at the Chan itself. So that's all we have uh, for this week. Uh, next week, we're going to feature uh, several plays, including The Mad Woman of Shio, which will be uh, performed here at UBC by the UBC Theatre Department, as well as The Park, which is being done by Studio 58 over at Langara uh, College. And... Um, you can get um, a deal. If you're a student, you can get a deal to see the park on September, or sorry, on Friday. So if you want to catch uh, the park over at, um, at Studio 58, all you need to do is bring your student ID and you get a deal for, for Friday. But, um, but check out their website and, uh, or Google Studio 58 because you need to, uh, to call ahead before all the tickets are gone. So make sure you do um, that. And I'll quickly also tell you there's a very interesting project coming Friday, October 1st to uh, the University of British Columbia as well as SFU and Emily Carr. And this is a outdoor theater troupe and they are crisscrossing Canada uh, to go to campuses and all on the theme of sustainability. And they're doing these, these, these fun 